I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Haggai, and I'm going to give you a moment or two to do that. Uh, It's in the Old Testament toward the end. And as you're turning there, uh, just to give you a little bit of a backdrop, Haggai is a prophet, and more than likely I'm going to say his name incorrectly numerous times, and you may too. Uh, And he is a prophet of the Lord. He speaks on behalf of God. There are two types of prophecy that we see in the scriptures. One of those is about 20 to 25% of prophetic types, and that is where there is foretelling as to what will happen. This is going to take place. Uh, In the world that we live in, that's been flipped upside down, and much of what we uh, quote-unquote call prophecy in 2020 is a distorted version of that. But most prophecy that we find in the Scripture is what Haggai does here. This is the word of the Lord, or thus says the Lord. This is what God would, would say to His people, and why God would say it. And as you're turning there, we're talking about certain and unshakable kingdom that we've been given in the person of Jesus. And the book of Haggai closes with a reference to the kingdoms of the world that Haggai was living in the midst of. Where he says, closing out the book, and we'll get there in a few weeks, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and I will overturn their riders, horses, and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. On that day, this is the Lord's declaration, I will take you, son of Shealtiel, my servant, and say, this is the Lord's declaration. I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. And as he speaks about this Zerubbabel person, he's ultimately pointing us to Jesus. But Haggai has a limited understanding of the Bible as to what's going to take place. He understands it better than me, but it is limited because he does not fully understand the kingdom that God will establish in the person of Jesus. The kingdom that we read about in the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom that they've read about this morning. This kingdom of our King Jesus. That when we consider who Jesus is and what it means for Him to be King, it's not so much about a a crown as it is the cross where we are invited into His presence. It's not so much about a signet ring, but a crown of thorns that we placed on His head. We can look and we can see Jesus in the distance when we look at this passage, but it has much to say to us about who we are, where we are, when we are, why we are. If you're wondering why in the world did He choose to preach on the book of Haggai. Uh, As you look through it, you see numerous things. The recurring theme of the book is God saying to the people of Israel, or the people of Judah in particular, consider your ways. And as he tells them to consider their ways, he's not pointing out what we would view as blatant idolatry, as horrendous action. The number one thing that he points out to the nation of Judah at this point in time in the scripture is this. You are apathetic. He points out cold apathy. And that they are lazy and that they are distracted. That they are spiritual dead and they are so spiritually dead that it's normal to them. Consider your ways. Consider who you are. Consider why you are. Consider what you do. Consider why you do it. Consider your ways. And I believe that God has much to say to us. So we're going, hey God, chapter 1, I'm going to read through it because I like to read through the Bible with us just to make sure that I'm not making stuff up. Beginning in verse 1. 
In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of armies says this, These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never, ever have your fill. Never satisfied. You drink, but you never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but you you never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag, and that bag has a hole in it. The Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house. And I will be pleased with it and and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins, while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I've summoned a drought on the fields and the hills and the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields on man and animal, and on that your hand produces. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and the entire remnant of the people, listen to this, they obeyed the Lord, their God, and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. I am with you. And this is the Lord's declaration. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of the high priest Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. When we look at this passage, we see it broken down in two ways. One, we see this, the call, consider your ways. You see that in verses 1 through 11. And the second thing that we see is not the call, but the other side of that is the response. Commit to His way, 12 through 15. One more time, consider your ways, 1 through 11. Commit to His way in verses 12 through 15. So we've got to do a little bit of groundwork to understand what's happening because I've just said names that I can't pronounce, nor can I spell. So let me help you with this. Haggai means person of the party. What a great name. A festival. Why in the world would God give us a prophet named Haggai who is the person of the party, the life of the party, the festivity? Why? These names always mean something in the Bible. When we look initially at the story of Judah returning to where they are, there is a party. The children of Israel have returned from captivity. Ezra, who also wrote a book of the Bible, tells the story of Cyrus, who was a king of the Persian people. And Cyrus, his heart was stirred, and in his heart being stirred, he allowed the people to leave captivity, which they had been placed in by Babylon, then Persia destroyed Babylon, and now he's over these people, he sends them home, and he tells them, I want you to rebuild the temple. So 50, or he tells them, I want you to go home, reestablish your land, because God all the while is stirring, moving them toward the rebuilding of the temple. And very carefully, if we're not, if we're not careful rather, when we look at a passage 
like this, in a church gathering, it is easy for the preacher or the teacher or, or whomever stands here to say, all right, God told them to rebuild the temple. Let's make sure that we get new carpet. That's what we should do. God told them to rebuild the temple, so let's add hand-washing stations in the lobby because we need those in 2020. There are things that we need to do, money we need to spend, but that's not what's taking place here. So there's not going to be a day where I, for us during this message series where I say we're going to look at God's certain and unshakable kingdom and I've got a thermometer or a George Foreman grill and we're trying to fill it up so the bacon gets heated. We're doing none of those things. What we're attempting to do in this passage is seeing what God has to say to us as His people. 50,000 Jewish people returned from Persian captivity. They were there... They came home, and they had a priest, and they had a leader. Zerubbabel is a member of the family of David. That's a big deal, but his name means begotten or begat, if we're speaking King Jimmy English, in Babylon. Joshua means that God is my salvation. When they get home with the people, they are doing exactly what God told them to do. They're rebuilding the temple, reestablishing what God intended for them to do when he sent them home by stirring the heart of Cyrus. They were doing sacrifices morning and evening. They were observing the feast. So it got to be such a big deal that as the people would gather, they would shout back and forth to one another, He is good, and the people would reply, His mercy endures forever. Call, response call response the old people who remembered though the old temple which was awesome were weeping because all they had was an altar but you've got these people who are celebrating that God's presence is with them because the temple is never just about the building the temple is always about the presence of God they are weeping their hearts are hurting because they have a misunderstanding of what God is doing they look and they see this temple is not the temple that we remember they look and they think about the good old, old days that we've talked about before. While they're meeting together, this festival, they are. you have the weepers, you have the happy people. The commotion draws the attention of the Samaritans. You've heard of them. And they're like, hey, we want in. The Jews reply, no. So they don't let them in. Because of that, the Samaritans say, well, we're going to write a letter to the new king because the old king is left. His name is Artaxerxes, which is also hard to say. They write the letter, told him to Google the nation of Israel and their rebellious ways. He got their face to Facebook and Twitter history, and when he did, he shut this whole party down. Cancel culture, right there. <laughs> then Haggai comes to them, these people of God, two years in, with a word of the Lord. And as we look at this passage, from the time that Cyrus sent them home, we've had 15 to 20 years pass. That's why I asked on social media last night, if you remember what you were doing 15 years ago. Do you remember where you were 15 years ago? It was 2005 for me. I was not married. I had no children. I was living in an apartment above my grandmother. She did my laundry. It was La Vida Loca. <laughs> Do you remember where you were 15 years ago? Some of you shared you have a 17-year-old now, and yet that child was one. Some of you shared that your child was in kindergarten. Some of you shared as to where you were. Where were you 15 years ago? Some of you were in fifth grade. I don't appreciate you letting me know that. <laughs> 15 years ago. Imagine that 15 years ago, God tells you to do something and you've still not done it. 
God says, this is what I want you to do, but you're still not choosing to do that. This is what I want you to be, but you're still not being that. Imagine God gives direction that you receive initially, but you do nothing with eventually. I, I, brought, I bought some uh, bug spray the other day. I stopped by that... Uh, like that naturalistic store on Oyster Creek because I thought, man, I should get bug spray that's not going to make my skin melt. And I stopped and picked some up and it, and sprayed myself down and everything was good as I was outside because mosquitoes have been horrific this week. And if you've not let the city know, I don't appreciate that. But these mosquitoes have been horrible, and I spray myself down with this, and it kind of burns my skin, and it's like, okay, cool, but maybe that lets the mosquitoes know that it's working. So as I have sprayed down with said bug spray, I go and I do a few things, and after time passes, basically I'd sprayed myself down with eucalyptus-scented mosquitoes because they were just attacking and swarming me. It's something that was supposed to work initially, but over the course of time, it stopped working. The people of Israel in this passage are there. They are working initially, but then it just stops working. They stop working. They don't do what they're supposed to do. Well, why would they not do what they were supposed to do? Haggai comes with a word from the Lord. And when he comes to them with a word from the Lord, it's very important because God has stirred his heart. God's all about the stirring of hearts in this passage. The name of Aaron, when we look at Haggai, he shows up, he has something to say to them. And he, the passage literally reads that the word of the Lord came through Haggai. That's a big deal. Because he doesn't just speak it, it's part of him. It was part of him. It's the same thing that we get in the book of Ezekiel when he eats the scroll. It becomes part of him. That's why ultimately we're pointing to the great prophet Jesus. The word of the Lord isn't just part of him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So here you have Haggai show up. You've already got Zerubbabel of the line of David. You've also got the Joshua whose name means God is salvation. You have a prophet, you have a priest, and you have their king. And we're already pointing this passage to the person of Jesus. We're always going to Jesus. If we don't go to Jesus, we're not going the right direction. We see the passage in verse 2. The Lord of armies says this. These people say the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. I love that terminology. He says these people. Not my people. These people. Maybe you were a kid. Well, you were. And you had been acting like a clown. And you came home and your mom said to your dad, Your kid has done this today. Maybe you're a mom or a dad in the room who has said that to your spouse. Your kid. That's the language that he's using. These people conveys, are they mine or are they not? They say they are, but I keep looking at them and they're not doing anything that I've told them to do. God looks and sees spiritual deadness in his own people in this passage. And that spiritual deadness is normal. So what about us? How often does God look at our spiritual deadness? How normal is your spiritual deadness? The people were allowing time to keep slipping away. And God is about to speak to them in the moment. I love that. 
Because God doesn't say, hey, uh, you know, you, about two years you did really well, but then there were all these other years where you just didn't do anything. Let's talk about your faults and your shortcomings in those years. He actually is speaking to them right where they are. And as God speaks to them right where they are, He says this, the same thing He says to us in the book of Hebrews. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So for every one of us in this passage, God's meeting us and He's saying, Hey, right now, I'm meeting you exactly where you are. And don't worry about the, all the things that got behind you in your shoulda, wouldas, and couldas. But right now, I want you to turn your attention and your affection toward me. And right now, God is pushing us toward new commitments. Speaking to you right where you are. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai in verse 3. Is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house of mine remains in ruins? All of your stuff is being used to care for you. Imagine that we go to a... Mexican restaurant that is run by barbarians and they only give you one bowl of chips. You beat the friend that you're meeting at the restaurant into the restaurant and that one bowl of chips has been scooped over toward you and you say to that friend, hey, I'm going to eat what I want and you can have what's left. That's what they're doing. Go, we're going to do what we want, we're going to spend how we want and, and you can have what's left. Maybe that doesn't quite get it. Josh Dawes met me the other day for lunch. He shows up with Chick-fil-A, Christian chicken. And when he showed up with Chick-fil-A, he brought me nuggets. And that was very kind of him. And he brought himself chicken strips. I don't even know what that means when you go to Chick-fil-A and order chicken strips. But he brought that. Imagine that Josh comes in. He says, Chad, I've got to go wash my hands. And when he comes back, I've scooted all of it to myself. Which I'm not above. And I'm eating my lunch and his lunch, and I tell him, when I'm finished, you can have what's left. That's what God sees in his people in the book of Haggai. Is that what God sees when he looks at you? They're ignoring the temple. Now, this isn't about the temple. Like, this is not about the physical structure about the temple. It's not about the building. As a matter of fact, we go Old Testament, we see David. You've heard of him. Big Bible deal. David wants to build a temple, and God told him no. Why? Because David wanted to build the temple, and the structure was about David and not God, and God shuts it down. They're ignoring the temple. These people of Judah, and God is saying, you're not building the temple because of you, so I'm going to shut that down. I'm going to deal with that. It's not about a building. It's about considering the presence of God. To rebuild the temple shows God's redemptive purpose, shows His intention. One theologian says this, The temple displayed that God has made a way for sinful men and women to dwell in the presence of a holy God through the blood of sacrifice and the ministry of a high priest. The temple matters because the presence of God matters. God looks at these people and He sees they are utterly distracted. Their distractions are their things. Their distractions are their lives. Their distractions are the things that they're walking through, the things that they're doing. These are everyday distractions. They are not blatant, outright idolaters, but they are, uh, they are idolaters on the undertone. And that may be worse. What about us when this passage meets with us? Are we such a distracted people that we're idolaters, missing the message that God has given for us, the desire that God has for us, for the sake of our own things? 
God not only distracts them, He discourages them. He allows them to be discouraged. You see that in verses 5 through 8. They're distracted, discouragement, and then He says, you are discouraged. Now the Lord of armies in verse 5, think carefully about your ways. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough to be satisfied. So you keep drinking, but, but you never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but you never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. See, everything that you spend and everything that you're doing doesn't feel like there's anything coming from it. You work more, you get less. You want more than you have. Why? Because you want me and you're so distracted you don't realize it. You've forgotten about my presence. You've forgotten about my person. And notice, like we talk about this paneling of houses in this passage. You're paneling your houses. And this isn't like us looking at the people and saying, Oh, that's about the rich people who live in wherever the rich people live. Paneling was a creature comfort for people who were doing okay. Paneling was a comfort for people who were comfortable. Paneling was something that everyone who was just an inch on the other side of poverty had. You're ignoring me. You're not worried about my presence because you're worried about your stuff and you keep spending and spending and spending and doing and doing and doing and wearing and wearing and wearing and you don't even think about me. You eat your meal. You don't thank me. So let's just get honest. This is hard to hear for me. You drink your wine, wine which is a symbol of joy for the people of Israel. You drink your wine and you don't find joy in me and you're supposed to find joy in me. That's why you're drinking it. You put on clothes to be warm and you don't say, Hey, God gave me these clothes. Wait, am I talking about them or us? Am I talking about them or me? I'm talking about me as much as anyone in this room. People are so comfortable and satisfied that they are uncomfortable and dissatisfied and they don't even realize it. The Lord of armies says this, Think carefully. We, we get to, God has really redirected this whole deal. You keep trying to satisfy yourself with your stuff and your stuff ain't doing it. This can be read hypothetically. This can be read literally. All of these things together. You've got this stuff happening, but it never seems to be enough. The Lord of Armies says, Think carefully about your ways, verse 7. Go into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house, and I will be pleased with it, and I will be glorified. How simple is that? If the temple is about the presence of God, and we're not supposed to ignore the presence of God, and it's pretty clear that's a big deal in the Bible, God says, let's make this simple. You are not building the temple, and in so doing, you are ignoring me. So let me break this down, wicka wicka, as much as I can. You go get the wood, and build the temple, and stop ignoring me. One more time, just in case you missed that. This is how easy this is. You are not building the temple, and in so doing, you are ignoring me. You're ignoring me, and you're ignoring my presence. So go get the wood, and build the structure that is the temple, and stop ignoring me. 
You're so distracted that you miss me. How distracted are we? There are people called attention engineers. And their job is to make you think that a 4 minute and 12 second video on YouTube is too long. We are distracted, distracted, distracted. So just write this down. As George Strait would say, take a little note. God says to them, you are not doing this, so start doing this. Right now, you are, I am not doing blank, so I should start doing blank to seek the presence of the Lord. I am not doing blank, I should start doing blank. Well, Chad, that's making this really... Are you oversimplifying this? Maybe we need to. I'm not doing blank. I should start doing blank. A.W. Tozer says this, Nothing in or of this world measures up to the simple pleasure of experiencing the presence of God. And these people and us avoid that like the plague. God says in verse 9, through Haggai, the prophet. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, see, I ruined it. Why? Because my house, it still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. You are worried about you and not about me. How much time do we spend building houses? How much time do we spend putting up fronts so that when people see us, they believe that we are aligned holistically with their ideology so that it seems like we have that we know more than we really do, that we are doing more than we actually are, How much are we posting ourselves into the paneling of our houses, missing the idea of seeking after the presence of of the Lord and hoping that He shapes us? Because if He doesn't shape you, you ain't going to be shaped. You can see Haggai has some idea of the Old Testament as you read through these next few verses. We've already seen he's referenced the Exodus. He's referenced what takes place there. You can see that he's got a consideration for what took place in the pre-exile prophets. The, the ones who were the prophets of exile like Daniel and Ezekiel. And you can see right here that he's even got something going on thinking about everything else. Like what's taking place around him. Ezra, when we read through it, he points out at one point, hey, the problem is everyone else. That's what he notices. But here in this book of the prophet, God says, actually, yeah, there are problems that are happening from everyone around you. But the real problem, Judah, is not everyone else. The real problem is you. So we can look around and we can find reason and excuse after reason and excuse. But there are moments for us when we have to realize not seeking after the presence of the Lord really comes down to, what am I doing? Because he's going to get your attention. He's coming after your attention. So on your account, he says in verse 10, I did this because of you, you big dummies. Emphasis added. 
The skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields on people and animals and on all that your hands produce. You see here his understanding of the totality of the scriptures that he's been given to him. He has given to him because when you look through Old Testament teaching, God holds his blessing in the sky. And he's saying, I'm withholding all of this until I get your attention. Because you're ignoring me. Here's a novel thing. I love this because he points all this out to the people. He points out their issues, their shortcomings, their, their struggle. And then you see this in 12 through 15. They do what very few people in the Bible do. They respond positively. God tells them to do something, and they do it. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, begat in Babylon, but related to David. The high priest Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, Yahweh is my salvation. And the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Whenever we see the word fear in the Old Testament, there definitely there's, there's an element of, whoa, God's big and scary. But whenever you read it in the prophets, it's really about faithfulness. About how God, faith, God is faithful. And that, to have a fear of the Lord is to be faithful. The people respond, we'll build the house. But then God comes alongside of that, following up. and says, So let me reassure you. You're building the house, but it's not what's causing me to love you. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, says this, I am with you. This is God's declaration. God's presence in their midst is not a result. God's not there with them as a result. It's the foundation and the motivation of everything that they're doing. And God has just drawn their attention to the fact that He's there. You forgot that I'm here. You're distracted from the fact that I'm here. So just, if you'll look at the fact that I'm here, you'll remember that I'm the one who motivates you. I'm the foundation for everything. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah, Haggai's just messing with me at this point because I've made, been made to pronounce these names so many times. The spirit of the high priest Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, they began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, and on the 24th day, the sixth month, the second year of King Darius. This crew was evidently made up of engineers, operators, and moms because they get the job done. Everything comes together. And this thing is moving in 23 days. There's lots of commentators who like to fuss and fight about this, but they like to say, how could they ever get the architecture, the structure, to to rebuild these things in 23 days? Let's not overlook that the whole thing's happening because God is with them. God's with them. And He's told them what to do and they're doing it, so He's with them. Church, let's make this really simple for us. The blank that you wrote earlier, I want you to consider, I am not doing blank 
and I should do blank to see the presence of the Lord. In what way are you ignoring the presence of God? The very thing that God... Crawford Loritz, one of my favorite pastors in Atlanta, says this. The very thing that God is using to draw us to Himself is His calling upon us. His calling is a statement of His presence. The fact that God is staring you is a reminder that He's with you. So react accordingly. Respond correctly. What are you leaving out that you're supposed to be filling in? Getting after it. Choosing to be obedient to the Lord so that you, not so that you'll see a structure, but so that you will know and rest assured in His presence. Because missing the presence of the Lord is something that we are far too often guilty of. Because we're distracted. Here's what I want us to do this morning. With that in mind, I want us to bow our heads right right where we are as opposed to somewhere else. And I want you to think about those blanks in your own life. Whatever they were. Maybe you wrote them because you are a literal listener. Maybe you did not write them down because you like to work in symbolism or you're just defiant. What's one simple step that you can choose to take this week to acknowledge the presence of the Lord for what it is? And will you give Him credit as your foundation and your motivation for doing it? You are here. Stop being here and choose to be with me. For many of us, that may be simply considering... I don't read my Bible ever. Not even enough. Enough's a word we use too much. I don't read my Bible ever. Maybe you should read your Bible sometimes. For many of us, it it could be considering our work and where we are as God's people and how distracted we are by our own paneling of houses that we're missing the opportunity given to us by this good king that we meet in Scripture. what you're missing. I'm wrestling with what I'm missing. So what if we took small, simple steps? Because God evidently is into simple steps. You you aren't working on the temple? Go get the wood and build the temple. What are you not doing where He's saying, hey, go do it. Go do it. Go do it. Lord, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You would speak to us as Your people. Lord, if there are any here who don't know you, I pray that they would trust you as king, trust you as Lord, believe in you. But God, I do know most of these faces, and I know many of them claim to follow you. So Lord, help us fill in that blank and choose to take simple steps so we are acknowledging your presence in everyday life because you are good and your mercy endures forever.